Hey, ABC Online, welcome to church. My name is Kelsey Iverson, and before we get started with our service, I just wanted to share a few announcements with you. First up is that we're hosting another Mighty Oaks graduation. It's gonna be this Friday, March 10th, starting at 5.30 in the gym with a potluck dinner, and then at 6.30, we'll head over to the Worship Center to celebrate our veterans that are completing the program. So you're invited, would you please join us? Next up is that ABC is hosting an intentional parenting workshop. This one's for you dads. It's gonna be on Tuesday, March 14th from 7 to 8.30 p.m. So would you come and hear stories from parents that are maybe further along in their parenting journey than you are and hear their experiences and learn how to raise sons and daughters that'll grow up to intentionally serve the Lord. I also heard there's gonna be pazookies there as well to hopefully entice you to come. So we would love to see you there. And lastly, just wanted to give you a quick reminder that next weekend is daylight saving time. So make sure to set your clocks ahead an hour and we'll see you next week. That's all I have for you. So thanks so much for joining us and we'll see you soon. Well, welcome to ABC. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, just as a reminder, we always like to let you know when our services are in case you haven't been down to campus. Um, every Sunday morning, we're here at eight o'clock, nine o'clock and 1045. And we'd love to have you on campus. For the past three weeks, we've actually been in a marriage series. We just felt like it was a timely uh, moment in our church to where we just needed to spend some time leaning in and asking what does an intentional marriage and singleness look like? And so if you didn't um, come to those uh, weekends or you didn't catch them online, um, go back and listen, particularly um, to this past Sunday, um, Pastor Gerald shared about when things and why things break down in relationships. Um, and he went right into Genesis 3 and just looked at the fall and it was really helpful. And so if you didn't uh, catch that one, I really encourage you to go back and listen to that. Um, but today we are back in the Gospel of Matthew. And so we're going to plow right on ahead. Um, just to give you a little expectation, a realistic expectation, we're going to be in Matthew um, right up till the end of the year at this point. So we're going to just keep uh, marching forward. There's a few weekends that we have off um, from the Gospel of Matthew, like Easter Sunday. Um, we'll do something different on, on Hume Sunday when we do baptisms and some other things coming up this year that are going to be fun. But for right now, we're going to lean in and camp out in the Gospel of Matthew. I'm finishing up chapter 11 this morning, and then we'll jump into chapter 12. So thanks for joining us. Uh, turn with me if you have your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 11, and we'll look at those verses in just a minute. I wanted to get a, a little pulse on where we were at as a church and really as a community. So we posted a survey this week. You might've seen it online. I uh, wanted to see how tired you felt. And so we put some questions together to just get an idea of how people feel in terms of burdened, um, tiredness, exhaustion, or rest. Um, and so here's what the survey said. If you had a chance to take that either on Instagram or Facebook, uh, your numbers are in here. If not, um, here's what uh, the survey says. 83% uh, of people say they feel often tired. Now, most of you are thinking, I can really, of course, like who doesn't feel often tired, right? Especially the the pace and the rhythm in which we're living right now. Um, only 31% say that they often feel rested. 77% say they work more often than they rest. And for, uh, for those of you who feel like work is a chore, you're in good company, that's half of the people feel like work is more of a chore than it is a blessing. I often feel burdened with complex relationships was the next um, statement, 57%. 
of the people that answered the survey are burdened right now or often burdened with complex relationships. Here's a, um, here's a striking one. This statement says, my heart is heavy right now. At this moment, 59% feel like their heart is heavy right now. And then the final uh, statement there is, I wouldn't know how to rest even if I could. That's a strong statement. 26% feel right now. That's 26%. If some of you are watching online right now, some people in our church say, I wouldn't know how to rest even if I could, if I had the time. Whether or not you answer the poll, uh, whether or not you resonate with some of these statements or they're true for you or not necessarily true for you, where you land on the spectrum, the words of Jesus, I think, will be very welcome to you this morning that we're going to read together in Matthew chapter 11. Jesus is going to say, and I quote, I will give you rest. And so I read these words of Jesus and I'm leaning in going, okay, Jesus, tell me more because I'm hungry the way that everyone else apparently is hungry for rest. Hungry to see how is he gonna provide some kind of reprieve for the crazy exhaustion that our lives are filled with. And so this morning, I want you to follow closely as we walk through this process together and understand what Jesus is saying about rest. So in chapter 11, verse 25, follow along as I read. It says, at that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And he concludes with these really welcome words, really warm words that are drawing us in, saying, yes, rest. I want it. I'm hungry for it. I want to know how to rest. I want to know what Jesus means when he's talking about this easy yoke and this light burden. But when you put this passage in context, when you start where I started in verse 25, it actually has a confusing undertone, right? I mean, Jesus starts with this kind of peculiar prayer. Thank you, Father, for hiding these things from the wise and revealing them to children. And he goes on and says, no one knows the Father except who the Son chooses to reveal. What's he saying? It's a really odd uh, kind of dichotomy when you, you look at the um, inclusivity of Jesus and then you see these exclusive kind of words that he's using in a passage like this and you wonder why in the world would the Father hide anything from the wise or limit the goodness of the kingdom of God? It feels counter to the heart of Jesus. Well, here's what I see Jesus doing. So we're going to back up a little bit in this passage and try to unravel um, kind of this argument to see what is Jesus trying to get at for us this morning. If you go back to the beginning part of chapter 11, there's this conversation taking place between John and his apostles or his disciples. John sends his disciples to Jesus to find out if he's really the one, the anticipated Messiah sent from God. So there's a bit of confusion about who Jesus is. And here, what, what Jesus is doing in this very little small section of this passage is he's affirming to John 
the question of who he is. And here's, listen to the words again. I'm just gonna read one section. All things have been handed over to me by my father and no one knows the son except the father and no one knows the father except the son and anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal to him. Jesus is saying, I know my father. I am part of my father. He knows me. I've revealed my father and he reveals me. We are one that Jesus is saying, as he says elsewhere in the gospels, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father but through me. If you see me, you've seen the Father. If you see the Father, you've seen me. We are one. And so he's answering John's question, yes, I am the one sent by the Father to reveal the heart of God to you in these moments. I love how John Stott says it in his commentary. If you want to discover the epicenter of God's self-disclosure, you will find it in Jesus. It's this revelation of God to the people. So we have to kind of understand that when he's talking about rest and us coming to Jesus, come who are burdened, come who are weary, it's part of his revelation of the heart of God that he is revealing to us who God is and who God wants to, to uh, reveal to him through us or reveal to us through him. And so then it says, if we continue working our way through chapter 11, we get to verse 20. And it says that he began to denounce the cities where most of the mighty works had been done. So we have this passage, this chapter kind of bookended with um, the revelation of Christ, the question of Christ. And in the middle is this charge, this call, woe to you, you unrepentant cities, Chorazin, Bethsaida, you did not repent. And this is what Jesus is referencing when he says the wise. So we ask the question, why would Jesus say you've hidden these things from the wise? Well, the wise are the wise in their own eyes. Woe to you, the wise in your own eyes. The wise who would not repent. The wise who would not admit that you had any kind of need apart from yourself. Those who've missed it. Those who've missed the revelation of God through Jesus Christ. The learned religious elite who think they've already got God figured out. They don't need to discover anything in the personhood of Jesus. They've already figured out God. They cannot see because they've been blinded by their own sophistication. And we start to get a hint here of exclusivity. Maybe the invitation of Jesus isn't wide open until we get down to verse 28. And he clears it up again for us. Come to me all. Come to me all. The invitation of Jesus is for all. That's clear. But it seems like it's not for all because he started with this weird prayer about hiding things from the wise and revealing them to children and, and you don't see the father unless I reveal the father. And so there's this real convolution here in the conversation, although he says, come to me all, the revelation of rest, the, the invitation to rest is for all. That's what Jesus says, but it's not so much for those who seem to have their act all together. Woe to you who have your act all figured out, he says. It's not for those who've hacked life to make it all work out in your favor. It's not for the smartest girl in the room or the guy that has all the answers or the self-righteous or the elitist or the I've never failed to test or let anyone else down people. No, the invitation is for all who would become like children. That's why he said, thank you, Father, for revealing yourself to children, for the simple-minded, for the ones who are willing to admit they have a need, 
Truly I say to you, he's going to say this later, Matthew chapter 18. Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever stumbles or whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Become like a child. And then the invitation is for all who would identify themselves like children with that same kind of need. The invitation is for all who would admit they're weary, who would own their brokenness, their wrecks. You know, some years ago, I, uh, um, I like to ride bikes. A lot of you know that. And years and years ago, when I was first kind of getting started riding a mountain bike, I went out with a few guys that were older than me and, and a little bit more, you know, competent, maybe you could say. And we were riding mountain bikes up on Salmon Falls for, for my Northern California friends, know where that is. And we're riding on this trail kind of way back. And I go off the trail and I'm kind of in the back, you know, behind the crowd. And I go off the trail, down the hill, crash into a pile of bushes and some rocks and just get trashed, right? Like my leg is cut up, my, my knee and my ankle are both like sprung and just have a hard time even kind of crawling back up to the trail. And so I haul myself back up there and what do I do when I get to the top? I go, hey, I'm cool, it's cool guys, I'm good. You know, like I try to get back on my bike and I didn't even realize the frame of my bike was bent so that the front wheel was smashed in and couldn't roll. But I get on my bike saying, I'm good, are you good? I'm good, yeah, let's go, let's keep riding. You know, like just try to dust it off and pretend like nothing's wrong. And I'm a mess, you know, and they're looking at me like, dude, you're not okay. Like, like, it's okay, we don't, we don't need a ride. And I'm like, no, no, I'm good, you know? And it took me a minute to realize, no, I'm in bad shape. I've gotta admit that I'm in bad shape and I can't ride. I don't need to keep it together for their sake or anyone. And me just trying to pretend like everything's fine isn't helping anyone out. And if you counter that, with the way that my four-year-old boys respond when they crash their bike, they lie in a pile on the ground and scream and cry, Dad, help, I crashed my bike, right? No shame, no pretense, nothing to prove, I just need help. I think that's what Jesus is saying when he's saying become like a child. He's hidden the... He's hidden these things from the wise, but revealed them to children. The wise who think they've got to keep things all mapped out together to make it seem or look like I'm okay. I could keep riding when in reality we're a mess. And Jesus is saying, no, no, God reveals himself to children. Those who are simple, who have owned and understood their pain. Those who are in a pile and a heap on the ground with their bike are, are willing to say, help. I, I crashed. I need help. And I think that's what he means here when he says, the invitation is for all. Come all who are weary. All who know they are weary. And I will give you rest. Those who have admitted that they've fallen. Those who are in need of healing. Those who understand they need to be restored. They need to be redeemed. And that's where the repentance comes in. It's why Jesus is saying, woe to you unrepentant cities. Because we need to admit we were wrong. We, we crashed. We, we need help. We're broken. And so the invitation 
To rest is not for those who refuse to admit they are broken and, and need healing. It's for those who acknowledge their shortcomings and call on the name of Jesus to heal and restore them. And secondly, the invitation is from Jesus himself, and that's really important. See, because I could invite you to rest, but I could come up with a really good plan and I could even propose to you, um, you know, that this is a 90-day plan on finding rest and you need to read the right things and you need to practice the right disciplines and you need to have these moments of meditation and you need to carve out this time in your schedule and you got to exercise this way and here's a mental health uh, plan and here's a reading plan and all these things, but it would have no teeth. Why? Because I have no authority to give you rest. I have no ability to give you rest. Only Jesus can truly invite you to rest because only Jesus can truly provide it. Because in the beginning was the word, is what John says in John chapter 1, and the word was God and the word was with God. He is the creator and the redeemer, the one who breathed life into your lungs, literally the one capable of restoring your broken heart through the forgiveness of sin. That's the one who invites you to rest. That's why it's so important that Jesus says, I will give you rest. He's inviting us to return to what he created us for. The kind of rest that existed in the garden, the kind of holistic living that existed before the brokenness of sin, I will give you that rest. That's what he designed us for. I love how there's this theologian, Jürgen Maltman, that that wrote this concept, this idea that uh, everything in our natural world is actually I've been tainted, and when, when Jesus does supernatural things, all he's doing is returning them back to the natural order. So listen to what he says. When Jesus expels demons and heals the sick, he's driving out of creation the powers of destruction and is healing and restoring created things who are hurt and sick. The lordship of God, to which the healings witness, restores creation to health. Jesus' healings are not supernatural miracles in a natural world. They are the only truly natural thing in a world that is unnatural, demonized, and wounded. Jesus has the ability when he invites you to rest, to return and to restore the things in which they were rightly designed and created to be. And so it's him that invites us to rest. It's him that can truly offer rest. And the invitation here is to rest. In verse 29 and 30, let me just read those verses in context here. 29 says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Side note here, this is the only time in the Gospels This is the only time in all of Jesus' teaching where he actually speaks of his own heart. I am gentle and lowly, he says. He's teaching us of his own heart. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, he says. Watch how I do it. Because I have intention in how I live and intention in how you were designed to live. So take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and lowly. We get a little clue, an indication in this moment of how to rest. That we would rest with gentleness and lowliness, humility. 
we would follow Jesus in his way of living, gentle and lowly. But in order for us to take on that yoke of Christ, the invitation here is take my yoke upon you. In order for us to take on his yoke, we need to take off the other yoke. Now, the the students of Jesus in this passage, the, the Jews that he was teaching, had a yoke on their shoulders of 613 laws from the Old Testament that they were trying to somehow fulfill. It was a heavy burden. So when he says, take this yoke upon you, his yoke was lighter. It wasn't bearing the burden of the 613 laws of the Old Testament. It was removing that yoke, the pain. Now for us, we're probably not trying to bear the same weight. We're not trying to wear the same yoke that these earlier Jews were trying to wear, but there are some heavy yokes that still exist today. And I don't know what they are for you, but I could think of some of them. Maybe the yoke of success is something you're wearing. You're bearing the weight of success on your shoulders. You can't afford to fail in your education, or you don't want to fail in your business, or you don't want to fail in raising your kids. Maybe you have a yoke on your shoulders, a weight on your shoulders of addiction. You can't live without this substance or this activity, or this behavior. You have a yoke maybe of expectation from others that's been put on your shoulders and it's a heavy burden that's bearing down on you. You need to be who others need you or want you to be. And so you're trying to perform in order to uh, uh, receive their approval. Or maybe you have a yoke of religion like the Jews did in their day. It may not be the 613 laws, but maybe you have this pressure, this religious pressure of following Jesus that someone else at some point put on you that you think there are all of these rules of legalism that you have to follow and somehow maintain a certain code of conduct or behavior that Jesus never put on you, but you've put it on or others have put on you that you need to take off and put on the light yoke of Jesus. It's not a pain-free yoke. It doesn't promise earthly or worldly success. That's not the yoke of Jesus, but it's an easy yoke, he says. It's natural. The relationship with God and with Christ is natural. It's how we were made to live, to walk in communion with God. It's this fluid relationship because a relationship with God isn't bearing the weight or the pressure of insecurity. He does not hide his thoughts. He's not unclear. He's not overly burdensome in trying to be fulfilled by you. He's perfectly self-fulfilled. So it's an easy burden. His burden is light. And the weight of our sin and the yoke of expectation is lifted off when we come to Jesus. And here is where you will truly find rest. Let me read again verse 29. Take my yoke upon you, which means we take the other yoke off. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. I'm so grateful he added that because he, he starts off by saying, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. That's, that's a good promise verse 28. That's helpful. But then he gets into 29 and he says, you will find rest for your souls. And here's what I hear Jesus saying. You're not only going to find physical rest, which is helpful. You need physical rest. You're going to find soul rest, which means all the angst in your heart and in your soul, all of the uneasiness or insecurity 
or ambiguity with your life or your place in this world or your place in humanity or your place in eternity is going to find rest when you come to Jesus. Not just rest for your tired body, but rest for your burdened and your weary soul. The question becomes, as I read this, and maybe you're asking the same question, but how, right? Yes, I, I want this rest, but how? I want an easy yoke and a light burden, Jesus, but how? I want rest for my weary soul. Yes, I crave that, but how? It starts with embracing faith in Jesus Christ, moving towards him, acknowledging that he is the creator of the universe, and only he is the healer of every human heart and soul, and only he has the authority and the ability to give you rest. It starts by moving toward Jesus and saying, I want to take that burden on, the light burden, the light yoke. I'm going to engage and interact with Jesus, and I'm going to take off all of the other yokes that I've put on, trying to somehow fill the void or find the rest, and I'm going to find it in Jesus and Jesus alone. There's a an 18th century preacher I've referenced before. His name is Joseph Parker from England. And I just love how he says things sometimes. And so I'm going to read directly out of uh, one of his sermons because he says it way better than I could say it as he's referencing what true rest in Jesus looks like. Listen to what Parker says. He says, I question, this is him preaching to his church. I question whether there are many here who have not tried to wash their hands when they ought to have known that it was their heart that needed cleansing. Today, bring to me your diaries, your vow books, your plans, your programs, your habits, your beginnings and your endings, your fire lightings and your offerings. Bring them to me and we will burn them in one common blaze and begin again by being nothing at all but little children in God's house. You see what he's saying? Bring all of the plans, all of the methods or the systems or the religions that you've tried to figure out how to navigate this life with, all the ways you've thought you could find true rest or you could find healthier rhythm or better discipline. Bring all those things, all of your plans, all your books, all of your creativity and your wit. Let's bring it all together and burn them in a common blaze and come into the house of God where we will come before him like children, he says. And he goes on, you want to rest and you can never secure that prize by your own effort. Man, that word stings. There is not a soul here that does not sigh for rest. There is no rest to be had except through Jesus Christ. Let me read that again. There is no rest to be had except through Jesus Christ. The restful alone can give rest. Peace alone can give peace. He will self-poise us, set our nature in its proper balance, bring all our faculties into harmonious relation and interplay, and thus he will establish us in the comfort and the quietness of his own peace. We, will see, we have seen this done in countless cases. In every instance, we have seen apathy, deadness, surly, reluctance, sometimes mistaken for resignation, but only in the Christian sanctuary have we seen death accepted as life. That when we die to ourselves, when we let go of all the other ways we are trying to put on rest, we're trying to somehow heal, we're trying to put our life together in such a way that we want others to think it's, it's going to be okay. I'm okay. Don't worry about me. My bike's not broke. <laughs> My knee's not bleeding. I'm okay. I'm okay. We're going to be all right. When we try to put that facade on, all it does is stagnate our growth in moving towards the true rest found in Jesus Christ. 
So the invitation this morning is for all, all who would admit they are weak and weary and incapable apart from Christ. The invitation is from Jesus himself, the sustainer and healer, the one who can give you true rest. And the invitation is for true rest for your soul. And to find it, all it requires is coming to Jesus. That's it. Sitting with him in his presence and saying, God, would you give me rest? Only true communion with Jesus Christ will bring you rest. It starts with admitting you need it. Admit that you crashed. That you're not okay. That you need some help. Repent of your misguided attempts towards righteousness. Some of those yokes that you've put on, maybe the house of cards that you've built, the facade, and let Christ restore and renew you, and he will give you rest. Let me pray. Father, we admit, I admit this morning that I've tried a dozen, I've tried, no, a hundred ways to rest. I've tried a hundred ways to find rest for my soul, to find purpose and meaning and peace for my soul apart from you, and it is impossible. And so I receive the call this morning that is revealed not to the wise, but to little children, not to the pride or the haughty or the arrogant, but to the humble. I receive that this morning and I ask God that you would show me what true communion with God looks like and bring me rest through it. God, I ask that you would give us grace for the times when we put those yokes back on and gently remind us that you are gentle and lowly. Teach us. We will learn from you. And by your rhythm, by your way, we will find rest. Thank you, Father. In your name I pray. Amen. If you're uh, new to ABC, or maybe, um, maybe even new to church in general. We'd love to meet you. We'd love to talk with you. Please feel free to give us a call. You can find our contact info on the website, abcchurch.org, um, or you can reach out to us at the church office. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to meet with you. If, if this whole concept of rest in Christ or Jesus, the only one that's able to, to provide true rest, is, is new to you, we'd love to process with you and pray for you. We uh, truly believe at ABC that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father. We don't come to the Father but through Jesus Christ, but through a relationship with him. And so we'd love to process that with you as well. And again, uh, would always love to see you on campus on Sunday mornings. So join us for one of our services. And uh, otherwise, meet us back here next Sunday as we jump into chapter 12. Have a great Sunday.